Welcome back. It's Mile High Magazine. I'm Murphy Houston. Hope your Sunday is going well. Historic Denver's Molly Brownhouse Museum celebrates women's history beginning in March, which is just uh, like now. And we're here to talk about it, and I'm not here to talk about it, but the Molly Brownhouse Museum Director, Andrea Malcolm, is here. Andrea, how are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. You know, I love the Molly Brown House. It's a great place. It's history, history, history. And it's Denver. Yeah, which I like. And the Titanic thing plays in there a little bit. But mainly, it is Denver. So, first of all, why don't you just talk about the Molly Brown House Museum? I was telling you before we recorded, I'm trying to get my grandkids into it because these young people just don't know. We have to tell them. And that's what you're going to do now. Where is it? What's it like? It's a great place, as I can just tell you that. Let's start from there. Yes, the Molly Brown House Museum um, is in Denver's Capitol Hill neighborhood, just two blocks from the state capitol building, which gives us a great opportunity to connect the story of James, Joseph, and Margaret Tobin Brown to the story of gold and gold mining here in Colorado, because, of course, our state capitol dome has the iconic gold leaf on the top. Right, right. And Mr. James Joseph Brown discovered the largest vein of high-grade gold ore ever found in the U.S. Um, in 1890. So um, they were millionaires, moved down here to Denver and purchased this lovely home um, and called it their own and then used their money to make Denver a better city, building churches and hospitals and helping the juvenile court system and orphanages and really making their mark on Denver and help making it the city we know and love today. Because I heard they were very, as you just mentioned, very generous people for the time. They were. There weren't a lot of rich people in Denver at that time, and they were like top of the heap. So, yes, we had this whole sort of cadre of of wealthy miners who would come back down from places like Leadville and Aspen and build the city that we see around us. That's very cool. Uh, Here's one, and it's in your list of questions here, but I was always curious because Molly Brown, her real first name was Margaret. She I was. got that right, right? Yeah, she was born Margaret Tobin in Hannibal, Missouri, to Irish immigrant parents. Um, and they saw uh, Leadville, Colorado as an opportunity um, to become wealthy, um, expand their uh, social circles. And plus, there was a huge um, Irish community already in Leadville at the time. So Margaret followed her brother Daniel out here west um, and settled down. And that's when she met Mr. James Joseph Brown in a picnic and they got married. Um, It's really Hollywood that turned her into Molly. After she died, newspapers and then a play and then a movie called her the unsinkable Molly Brown. But in fact, she was not known as Molly in her lifetime. Well, that I never knew. Yeah. So Hollywood turned her. Did she ever officially use it Molly again, like among friends? or? Nope. In that time, of course, wow. as, a, as a married woman, you were referred to as Mrs. J.J. Brown, your husband's name. Um, to her family, she was known as Maggie or Margaret. Well, talk about her house where the museum is. Talk a little bit about that before we get talking about uh, what's going on with women's history there, because that's a cool place, really cool place. So we encourage everyone to come down and take a tour of the museum if you haven't. Um, You get to immerse yourself in what it was like to be a woman in Margaret's um, stature in in 1890s Denver. Uh, You get to learn about her life and how she affected the city and her travels around the world, um, her children, her education. You get to also learn about her servants and the working class 
class here in Denver at the time. So it's a diverse range of stories, and we use the house and the objects, like a beautiful tray she brought back from Japan as a souvenir. We use that to talk about what did it mean to travel at that time, and what would you have seen out in the world, and what she brought back to the house as souvenirs. So we do guided tours that generally leave every 30 minutes with amazing, well-trained docents who will entertain you on you know, Margaret's life and, of course, the Titanic experience. You know, she traveled at a time when it was very difficult to travel. I mean, if you were going to Japan or wherever, you you just didn't hop a plane in there in 12 hours. It took days, I would think. It did, days and weeks. So they would have had to get on the train uh, and then in somewhere like New York or Boston, get on a boat and then cross the Atlantic Ocean and then perhaps get on another train and just keep working their way their east around the globe. And it would take, they would plan these trips to be months and months long. Um, they went to China, India, and Japan. And we know this because Margaret wrote about her experiences and they were actually published in the newspapers here in Denver and in Newport, Rhode Island, New York City. Everyone was just so amazed by Mrs. Brown's travels and her experiences in places like uh, Japan. Just imagine traveling, though. I mean, the way they dressed back then. How do you do laundry? I mean, mean, you don't run into a restaurant to grab food. I mean, it just had to be incredible planning. Yes, it was incredible planning. And you still had to get your visas and your passports and your travel papers. You had to sort of write ahead to ensure you had credit, a line of credit at each place you stopped at. So you had money to spend because, of course, you didn't have credit cards. Um, And so, but eventually by uh, 1910 or so, Margaret's traveling alone. She's not even traveling with her husband anymore. So she's doing large trips like this by herself, including the trip that would put her on the Titanic. And she never had security. I mean, she was a wealthy woman by herself. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't even think about that today. Yeah. It seems like you'd have to have somebody with you. That's she must have been an incredible woman. She was. And how did she how did she survive the Titanic? The Titanic is an amazing story, and we call it a week in the life of Mrs. Brown because she was also in a couple hotel fires and other ships that almost sank. But for Margaret and the Titanic, she was fortunate enough, number one, to be a first-class passenger. Um, They had easier access to the lifeboats. She was more concerned with all the other passengers, making sure they got on the lifeboats. Um, So she was actually forcibly picked up and dumped into lifeboat number six as it was being lowered to the water. She might not have made it otherwise because she was more concerned about everyone else. Um, So she's on lifeboat number six, um, and she is helping all of the other women, consoling them. Let's row. We have to be tough. We have to get through this um, until they were rescued by the Carpathia. Um, She's really known as the heroine of the Titanic because she helped as many people get on the lifeboats. But then she was able to speak five languages so she could speak to many of the immigrant passengers who had survived. So if you're a young woman coming with your husband and children to the U.S. to start a new life and you just lost your husband, you know, your world is shattered. So she made sure that they had money in their pocket, were connected to family or embassy, and were taken care of once they got to the U.S. That's an incredible story. I wonder how many people have actually heard that information yeah. before about her. Yep. That's five languages. Five languages she could speak. Yeah. How did she learn five languages out here? <laughs> That had to be incredible. Uh, yeah. Even in Leadville, she was taking French lessons from tutors and piano lessons. And then once they moved here to Denver, she would put the kids into school, in boarding schools in the East Coast or Paris. And then she herself would attend classes at the Carnegie Institute when they opened up their women's college. 
I bet she had some incredible stories about that whole Titanic incident when they she, were finally saved. She did, yes. She wrote extensively about her Titanic experience. And if you come to the museum, we have full accounts of that available to purchase. So you can read her own words about her own experience. She met with a reporter in New York City just within 24 hours of arriving in New York. And her description of what happened it chills you to this day oh you can just imagine sort of how traumatic and shocking that entire experience was well then how long before they were rescued actually how long were they floating around in a lifeboat before the other ship got there they some of them were on the water for several hours between 2 and 6 a.m or so they were floating on the water it they started lowering lifeboats around 1.30 a.m., and then they were finally getting picked up and rescued by the Carpathia around 5.30 a.m. So they were on the water for several hours, not even knowing if help was going to come. Oh, it's an incredible story. And if I remember right, if the movie is true, a lot of people didn't even believe it. They no. just said yeah, they're dancing and partying, having mm-hmm. a good time, and didn't have any clue. But it sounds like Molly, Margaret was on top of it. No one thought that that ship could actually sink. It was the it was the marvel of the modern world. It was a technological feat for the time um, and it wasn't supposed to sink, but all of the wrong things happened. All of those factors came together um, and caused that ship to sink. That's a crazy story, yep. but a true one. I'll bet there's some interesting artifacts and I've seen some of them mm-hmm. at the Molly Brown House. That's yep. that alone. Yep. Is worth the trip over there, yep. let alone the Denver history, the Colorado history she presents. Okay, so let's talk about women's history and, and March is the month. Why are you focus, focusing so much? Is it because of her? Uh, Mrs. Brown uh, was an active um, advocate for women achieving the right to vote. And 2020 is actually the 100th anniversary of the passage of the 19th Amendment, which finally granted women the right to vote across the United States. Here in Colorado, we are very progressive, and women had gained the right to vote in 1893. So women had already been voting for 27 years before some women across the U.S. finally also got the right to vote. That's an incredible story alone. I I didn't know that. (laughs) So this year we are commemorating the 19th Amendment and the 100th anniversary of most women achieving the right to vote. And Margaret was an active participant in that national push for women's suffrage. Um, So she uh, spoke across the country on on women getting the right to vote, as well as labor rights and labor reform. Because, of course, here in Colorado, we had lots of mining strikes happening at that time. So she was on the side of the miners, making sure that they were paid well and were safe. Um, And she used that as her platform to also talk about women getting the right to vote. So across the United States this year, there's a huge centennial effort to commemorate women achieving the vote. You know, Colorado's been very progressive on a lot of issues over the many years. And I didn't realize the women had the right to vote so far before it was a national event here. Yes. And how did that happen? I mean, there had to be, maybe I'm wrong, but I think about all the mining you were talking about. There had to be a lot more men than women out here in the Denver area, the mountain area. How did they convince everybody, yep, it's time for the women to vote now? How did that happen? We had an amazing, amazing cadre of women like Alice Meredith, Mary Cece Bradford, uh, Sarah Platt Decker, who worked for decades here in Colorado to get women the right to vote. Colorado is technically the first state to pass voting by referendum. So all the male voters came together and... uh, earned women the right to vote. Uh, Wyoming was uh, the first to give women the right to vote, but it was 
in their territorial charter. So they just wrote it in. Sure, um, sure. But Colorado was the first state to actually give women the right to vote by referendum. So that is part of um, our progressive ideals out here in the West. Um, we actually had a populist gover- governor at the time whose populist party philosophy says equality for all, special treatment for none. So that was really a a boon to the suffragists that we had a populist governor in office and then you had all of these uh, minors who uh, were convinced that yes if we give women the right to vote they will help us get better working conditions better pay Um, so it all came together and in 1893 women had the right to vote and, and Molly Brown led that attack. She uh, she had just, of course, moved to Leadville a few years earlier, so she's part of all of that happening. There's a suffrage office actually in Leadville helping that happen. Um, and then, of course, as soon as women get the right to vote, women are also voted into office. So within a few months, we have the first three women serving in the, in the House of Representatives here in Colorado and then setting the stage for decades of Colorado electing the most women to public office than any other state. That still continues. That does. We Uh, have a great track record of women in office. Well, as we should. Yes. What are they waiting for? (laughs) Come on. Let's get it it going here. Now, at that time, Denver wasn't the capital. Was Golden the territorial capital? capital? When we were a territory, yes. And they actually thought about putting the state capital in Golden. But then it was, of course, we have Henry C. Brown who donated the money that the capital grounds and the state capital building are on now so that it could be here in Denver. And of course, we were Arapahoe County for a while and then became Denver County. So as as Colorado is becoming a state and Denver, the capital's growing, all of this un- is unfolding as well. I didn't know that either. Yeah. I'm loving this. <laughs> I'm learning all kinds of stuff about my town. This is very, very cool. That is for sure. Okay, let's talk about some of the events you're hosting now during the entire year, I would imagine, of 2020 for the big events. Yep. What's we, going on? We have an event for everyone. So one of the ways that the suffragists got together to plan their suffrage strategies, whether it was let's get each state to pass suffrage or let's just go for a national amendment to the Constitution to grant women the right to vote, a lot of ways they did was this was by having tea together. So well, of course. Coming together in women's clubs and women's groups that were also focused on labor rights and children's uh, law, but also how do we get the right to vote? Well, let's have a cup of tea and work it out. So we have several teas coming up at the museum where you can come and have a cup of tea in our beautiful tea room and also learn a little bit about Mrs. Brown and her involvement in this. Um, so our next one is actually coming up just next weekend on March 8th, and it's called Margaret and Alva, the Great Women tea. Margaret was actually best friends with Alva Vanderbilt Belmont. Ooh, yes. I even know that name. Wow. <laughs> and Mrs. Belmont had her marble house in Newport, Rhode Island, one of the fanciest houses um, that was written about in all the newspapers. So Alva and Margaret were a huge part of the national suffrage movement along with women like Alice Paul. So we'll explore that story on March 8th. And then on April 18th, we're also going to dive into the Titanic story at a tea, Sisters of the Second Class, where we learn about the women on the Titanic, women like Margaret Brown um, and all the others on the ship. That should be incredible. That should be. So we have a great group of women who uh, host these teas for us. And then on May 16th, in honor of our mothers, we're going to talk about the founding mothers, women like Abigail Adams, Susan B. Anthony, all of those great women who were the early pioneers in the suffrage movement. 
I have a question, mm-hmm. and somehow it just dawned on me. Is the Brown Palace named after the Browns? Mrs. Brown would like you to think that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had to ask. <laughs> and all these teas they have at the Brown Palace. I'm going, wow. Yes, the Brown Palace Hotel was that. Henry C. Brown, I mentioned, yeah. who donated the land for the state capitol. Uh, he built the Brown Palace Hotel because he wanted a very nice place to stay when he was here in Denver. Uh, Mrs. Brown would stay there if she was traveling a lot and renting out her Denver home. She would stay at the Brown Palace Hotel. And, of course, it's nice to have the same last name well, as the Well, it just popped into my head. I'm thinking, yes. they're giving all this land away. Maybe they did that. Yeah. And then we also have a great slate of events in the evening. So if you work during the day and can't make it, we have our 1340 Pen After Hours events. Um, and those we pair with cocktails. And two of our upcoming events on May 15th, we're going to talk about the women in spiritualism. Yeah, what's that all about? Uh, so uh, if... Uh, At the turn of the last century, there was a huge spiritualism movement where people are um, interested in the afterlife. So that's when we have madams and seances and we have Ouija boards and all of those things being explored. Um, And um, those women were also very connected with the suffrage movement because they're sort of independent working women who are um, creating their own businesses in their own world. So we're going to talk about that. And then on June 11th, we're also going to have bloomers, bicycles, and bosoms because we have... I don't dare ask about that one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll talk about the bloomers and the bicycles. Uh, The bicycle is actually attributed with a great part of sort of women's independence and achieving the right to vote. Because if you can get on a bicycle and go wherever you'd like, you're pretty independent. And if you can put on a pair of bloomers, which are actually pants rather than a skirt, you can bicycle pretty far. Sure. (laughs) So that's all tied together with the dress reform movement and Amelia Bloomer and her bloomer pants and hopping on bicycles. So with a great cocktail in hand, you'll be able to explore the house and hear these fun stories. You got cool stuff planned coming up. <laughs> I'm telling you. Yeah. We're talking with uh, Andrea Malcolm, who is the Molly Brown House Museum, and apparently, as you've heard, knows a heck of a lot of what's going on with the history of, uh, well, Margaret Brown and Molly Brown, if you would. Now, you've got more coming up in April and June. Am I looking at this right? Yeah. So we have, we also do insiders tours where, again, you can come in the evening and learn uh, a special topic related to Mrs. Brown. So in April, we have Tales from the Titanic. Uh, you'll get to hear all about Mrs. Brown's Titanic experience. Um, and then in June 4th, um, we also will be looking at what is the history of the LGBTQ movement, oh. what it meant 100 years ago. Wow, um, that must so be incredible information. The history of, yeah. of gay culture 100 years ago. Um, that's, it, that's great. It is. And then we also have a free salon series. So you can come to the museum for free um, the first Thursday evening of the month from 530 to 730. And we take something from Mrs. Brown's life, like the fact that her parents were Irish immigrants. And then we dive into the topic of immigration and really look at those historical threads that inform the headlines today. So when we're talking about immigration policy today. Wow. How is that evolved over the last hundred years? Or we talk about voting rights and gerrymandering and how did that evolve over the last century? Yeah, it's not new stuff. No. So we use Margaret Brown as a focusing lens where we move her around on history and really explore different topics. And that one's free. And we serve cookies and you can just come and hang out and have great conversations and learn why our headlines are saying what they're saying. Is that every Thursday? Uh, The first Thursday of the month. 
just every month throughout the year? Mm-hmm. So wow. our next one is going to be March 5th, where we're going to talk about women of color in the suffrage movement. Um, even though the 19th Amendment was passed and granted women the right to vote, um, in the Jim Crow South, many women were still oh, excluded absolutely. from the polls, including right. men. Um, but so women, um, black women in particular, Asian women, Native American women, either for language, citizenship, or, or ethnicity reasons, were still barred from the polls. Uh, for decades, the 1965 B- Voter Act finally took care of a lot of that, and then the 1975 Act for Language Minority Citizens. So it would still take decades uh, for some women to achieve the right to vote. So who is – are you – like emceeing and doing all the discussions for these salon series because you seem well informed about it. I do for those because that's my passion. My passion is how is Margaret's story relevant today? How can we use her story to make sense of our very confusing um, and complicated world? Have you written a book? (laughs) I should, huh? I mean, I'm I'm dead serious about that because that would be interesting to see the connection of that time to today because mm-hmm. there are a lot of similarities are just mm-hmm. obviously changed with the times but the base is still there right yep and that's why we feel this uh centennial of the 19th amendment is so important because it really is providing the historical facts and foundations to what we're going through right now today in our election cycle sure enough for mm-hmm. sure mm-hmm. So let's talk about, this sounds like a huge event, the Titanic Dinner. Yes. I mean, this sounds really go- cool. It's Titanic, yes. Yeah, well, talk about that. What's it? What? When is it? What are we doing? So um, every year we do host a Titanic Dinner at the museum, but we thought it's 2020. Um, Historic Denver's on the cusp of its 50th anniversary, and we thought we should go big this year. And there is a... Lesser known structure in southwest Denver at the corner of Wadsworth and Yale. Um, if you drive by that intersection, you may see the Molly Brown Summer House sign and wonder, what is this place? Well, this was the home that was actually built by Margaret and J.J. Brown as their summer working farm. Oh. Um, so this home is them. It was built by them um, that has a cornerstone with J.J.'s name on it. The interior and exterior details, it's them. Their heart and soul is in this house. Um, they only owned it for about a decade before they sold it off, uh, but they had over 10,000 chickens and, and guinea fowl that J.J. raised. They had horses and cows. Uh, they would have barn dances and parties and use it as a place to picnic. And it was over 400 acres there along Bear Creek. Um, so we are partnering with uh, the amazing woman named Momo, whose family has owned it for generations. Sure. Um, and they use it as an event space. So it's a great place to go and have your wedding or your baby shower or some anniversary event. Um, so we decided, let's Let's partner with Bomo. Let's talk about this great house and this other treasure we have in Denver. Um, and they have a lot more space than we do. So, but it's uh, right on the land, though. It is. Why would they sell that land? Do you have any idea? I mean, if that was their baby, yeah. why would they sell it? I think at that point, JJ was trying to sort of get some cash together. He was still building this mining empire. And sometimes in mining, there are 
upswings and downswings. There are booms and there are busts. And Colorado is all about the boom and bust cycles, which we still experience today. Uh, So I think he was trying to pull together some cash and saw that as an asset, unfortunately, that he could liquidate. Wow, that had to be a tough sell. If that is your baby and all of a sudden... Was he in dire straits? Did he just, it just was his sense of adventure. Yeah. This I, has got to go so I can do this. Yes, I think I think that's it exactly. I think he was moving on to the next big thing. He was actually acquiring mines in Mexico, uh, Cuba, all over the Southwest, California, Arizona, uh, New Mexico. He had a home in Taos. So I think he was really focusing on mining and spending a lot of time traveling and probably couldn't quite take care of it the way he would have liked. Okay. Didn't mean to take you off track about <laughs> the dinner, okay. but it just, I was just curious why he would sell. Yeah. So let's talk more about the dinner. What are we going to do there? So not only is it going to be like a scrumptious multi-course meal served in the spirit of the Titanics, because of course, first class dining was world renowned with Paris chefs. Um, second and third class, you still got a really good meal on the ship. Uh, so we're going to replicate that first class dining experience. Cool. Um, and then we're also going to have a great live band playing um, and our special guest for the evening evening is a descendant of Margaret Brown's. Her name is Helen Benziger McKinney, and we are so honored to have her join us. Good Irish part of the evening. Yes. <laughs> so where did, is she live in Denver? She does not. She actually lives in Missouri, um, but she is so sweet, and she comes out um, and visits us for special occasions. Oh, you can have artifacts there and from the Titanic? And Nothing from the Titanic. Most of it's still on the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. But, um, so, there's some pieces out yes, there. Yes. Um, Interesting enough, the Titanic, there's a UNESCO process happening right now that will protect it as a World Heritage Site. As so, it should be. As it should be. Because, you so. know, people start going down there and just, you know, pick it a yeah. clean, which is horrible to think about that. So when is this big event? So the Titanic dinner is Friday, April 10th. It's from 6 to 9 p.m. Um, and the ticket is all-inclusive with your meal and your wine and great music and getting to meet one of Mrs. Brown's descendants and have it all in the home that Margaret and J.J built together so very cool how do we get those tickets those tickets are all available on our website which is historicdenver.org and that's for all these events i would imagine that we're talking about yep for all of the events um, you can pick up tickets, find out more information. Even the salon series, even though it's free, please register so we know how many cookies to buy. Well, <laughs> I'll put my order in now. <laughs> you talk about cookies, for goodness sake. So, so talk more about the exhibit, too. You're doing stuff at the house that we I don't think we've touched on that, but a little bit. Talk about the events. But what's going on that's going to be set up for the entire year that people can see? Yeah, so opening May 7th, we are having our Fierce Foremothers Steadfast Suffragist Exhibit open, where when you come to visit the museum and take a tour, uh, the exhibit will be included. Um, and then components of the exhibit will actually be free without a uh, paid admission as well. So we want to make everyone have the ability to come and learn about this amazing story. Um, So throughout the house and in our exhibit space, we're really going to explore how Margaret Brown and women like her uh, were vital to the suffrage movement and achieving the right to vote for all of us women today. Um, So throughout the house, you'll see um, Margaret and her friends and hear their words um, and sort of see the fashion of the time um, and really understand how the suffrage movement played out um, over Margaret's lifetime and how vital women of Colorado were to the national suffrage movement. Well, it's huge, obviously. Mm -hmm. Now that we know they started voting 
a long time before everybody, all the other women here in the country started voting. And you can also uh, have the walking tours. You mentioned that earlier. Talk about that just a little more. Yeah, so we have a full slate of walking tours that we've had for several years now. It's a great way to explore Denver and understand our amazing history we have. So there's walking tours of Lower Downtown, of Capitol Hill, and new for 2020, we're going to do a women's history walking tour. Well, you'll learn specifically the great stories uh, and see the places uh, where suffrage happened here in Denver, where all these women's clubs formed. Uh, there was one um, African-American woman named Elizabeth Piper Ensley, who was vital to the suffrage movement here in Colorado um, and really activated all the black women around the city so that they had a say in these voting conversations as well. Very and cool. we'll be able to talk yeah. and meet these women and uh, see places like the Denver Women's Press Club, where women like Minnie Reynolds were vital to the suffrage movement as well. Well, you got it all lined up here, don't you, Andrea? <laughs> we do. <laughs> yeah, and I want you to emphasize, because we talked a little bit about this earlier before we started, get your kids involved. Kids can be a part of what we're talking about here. Uh, they should know the history of where we live, because I thought it was fascinating before, but now having you on, oh my gosh, there's so much to know. There is. So we have a great education department that gets into hundreds of classrooms across the city every year, especially as kids are learning their local history and their Colorado history. Um, But we also have great programs at the museum for kids to come and participate. We have free community program days where... Caregivers can just bring down their kiddos and come and explore and play um, and learn about different topics at the museum for free. And all that information is on our website. Uh, We also have scientific and cultural facilities, um, SCFD free days. So it's another way for families to come down and explore the museum and this topic. So um, anyone from small kiddos on up. We also do programs for kids on the autism spectrum. So on our website, you'll see those Uh, sensory-friendly mornings, and then we do programs as well uh, for those with early-stage Alzheimer's. So we have our Spark Days. So again, a great way to come and sort of spark some memories by experiencing the home and touching artifacts. Well, you knew about the Molly Brown House. You know it's there. You didn't know all you learned today now, did you guys? How do we register? We should probably register for all these events. Uh, You can just visit our website, historicdenver.org, and you'll see an events calendar with all of our upcoming events right there on the homepage and just click on the event that you're interested in. Um, And then along the way, we hope you also consider becoming a member because we are a great member and community supported organization. Well, it requires a little funding to do what you do. It does. It's not free for (laughs) sure. Well, Andrea, Malcolm, Molly Brown, House Museum Director, Historic Denver. Thank you for this year. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. We are too. Well, thanks for coming in today. We appreciate it. And it's not exciting. Get the family involved with that. And thank you guys for listening. It's Mile High Magazine. I'm Murphy Houston. Enjoy the rest of your day, and we'll talk to you next weekend.